0: So I think the only announcement we have is that this Thursday, <clears throat> we are going to the movie tavern to see the new Ant-Man. I'm kidding. Uh, that's Friday. No. Uh, <laughs> uh, Thursday, we're going to the movie tavern, 6 o'clock, to watch that new movie about Calvary Chapel and Chuck Smith. What's it called? The Jesus Revolution. The Jesus Revolution. Uh, Kelsey Grammer. remember Kelsey Grammer from Cheers and... Uh, and Frazier, right. Uh, he plays Chuck Smith. And I know, that's going to be interesting. But he, uh, somebody was, dad I think was telling me that he was doing an interview and somebody was interviewing about the movie and he started talking about Chuck Smith and because and, he studied Chuck Smith's life, which praise the Lord, let's hope he got saved. <clears throat> and he started crying in the middle of this interview. Just he was overwhelmed because Chuck Smith, love, love was what drove the man you know all that we talk about uh about the the two great commandments love the lord your god with all your heart mind soul and strength and the second which is like the first love your neighbor as yourself he was he was not he was no he was not perfect nobody's perfect but christ but he was the embodiment of those things and he really was so christ-like and when all the mainline denominational churches were kicking hippies out of the church you know come back when you take a bath rufus you know uh and and you know cut your hair you don't come into church dressed like that chuck smith was given a burden for these kids he saw he saw him the way we pray to see people as sheep having no shepherd uh, and, and so he started praying god bring it bring a hippie in bring a hippie in you know and then his daughter brought one home so that's really how it started i think it was lonnie frisbee right isn't it that was his name lonnie frisbee that was the beginning of the jesus movement in the 60s and the kids are like what in the world is this idiot talking about The Jesus movement in the 60s was a huge revolution that took place where people by the tens and hundreds and thousands were being baptized in the ocean and coming to Christ. It was a huge, huge, huge movement, Uh, and God saved a tremendous amount of souls through that Jesus movement, which was beginning also of what we call Calvary Chapel, uh chuck smith was a four square gospel preacher he'd been from church to church he was the normal guy he was here for a few years then he get another post and he finally said i'm done with all of that i just want to serve one body and he bought this little tiny white country church on the edge of of orange county that had said on the front of it calvary chapel and he liked it so much he bought it and started doing church services there and that's where the jesus revolution began and that's where Calvary Chapel began. That's that's our that's our roots and heritage as far as our faith, uh, our faith goes within this movement. But more importantly than any of that, and I, I'm very excited to see the movie, but more importantly, if you ever if you haven't read the book called Harvest, uh, that's a book about the Calvary Chapel movement and so many of the pastors that came out of that Calvary Chapel movement uh, in California, but Joe Foch here on the East Coast, Bill Gallatin. Uh, who minister here at Calvary Chapel in Rochester. And you read these guys' testimonies, their backstories. I mean, you're talking about whacked out of their minds on LSD and drugs. One, The one Mike McIntosh, he walked into the church and he thought he was a zombie. It was a drug deal gone bad. He was whacked out on LSD and the, the drug dealer put a gun next to his head and pulled the trigger. He thought he blew his head off. He was so whacked out on drugs, so he thought he was dead. And he came walking into Calvary Chapel like that and rather than say get out of here whack job they brought him in and they prayed for him he was delivered that day he was born again that day and now he's a pastor calvary chapel pastor some huge church you know i mean the story is bill gallatin was demon possessed you know what i mean it goes on and on and on and and what's beautiful about it is you read it and you say hey there's hope for me <laughs> there's hope for me and there's hope for that no good lousy neighbor of mine that no good lousy co worker of mine, that no good lousy family member of mine. Maybe you don't say no good lousy. Maybe I say it jokingly, you know, about everyone. But, <laughs> but you say you, you understand God is a God of restoration. He's a God of reconciliation. He's a God of healing, right? But it's found, and here's the key, folks it's found in Him, it's not found around Him over him under him which you can't really go any of those places there's no such thing it's only found in him you see a lot of times people are attracted to the word of god and as far as the blessings that they read about in there or the blessings that they see happen in different churches lives or christians lives or this that the other thing and they're very much interested in the blessing and they and they want the blessing remember simon the sorcerer who was following around Peter and James, and Peter was laying his hands on people, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. And Simon wanted in on that. He didn't want to repent. He didn't want to stop doing his witchcrafts or things like that. He just wanted to be a part of that blessing. So he approached Peter and made the horrible mistake of asking Peter, Can I buy some of that from you? And Peter rebuked him and told him, your heart is far away from God. Now, let me tell you what you need to do, buddy. You better repent. You better repent. You want access to the power of God? You want access to his wonder, wonder wonder-working power and the life-changing power of his Holy Spirit? We need to repent. We need to turn away from our sins. And we need to turn our hearts towards God. I want to live in the center of his will. I want to be involved and immersed in his word. I want to be a man of prayer. I want to be a man about the kingdom. And and yet, Romans chapter 8, we find this horrible truth, don't we? The things I want to do, do we do them? No! It's the things I don't want to do. Those are the things I keep on doing. I find this horrible law, Paul says, at work in the members of my own body. Oh, my God, who will rescue me from this body, which is death? Then he gives the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, wasn't he in Jesus before all that? Absolutely. He was in Jesus while he was fighting that battle. He was in Jesus while he was saying, Wretched man that I am. He was in Jesus while he was understanding the fact that he wasn't doing what he wanted to do, but in fact, he was doing what he didn't want to do. But here's the thing well, how do you know he was saved then? Because he saw it. The unregenerated person does not see these things. I'm okay, you're okay. That's an unregenerated thought, friend. The regenerated man, the regenerated woman says, I know how far I am from the holiness and the glory of God. And when I look at myself and I compare myself to Jesus Christ, I am driven to my knees in worship and to say, wretched person that I am. Who will rescue me? Who will deliver me? Here's the answer. Here's what Paul's really saying. And I'll give it to you in basic common terms. Just keep on walking. Just keep on pressing. What did Paul teach us? What else did he teach us? Well, God taught us through Paul. Forgetting this I know. This is this this one thing. This one thing I know. If you know nothing else, tattoo this on your throat. Forgetting what is behind. I press on towards the goal. Set before me in Jesus. Oh, but you don't know what happened on Wednesday night, brother. You don't know the thoughts that were in my head Thursday morning. You don't know what I... Forget it. The Bible says that when God forgives us of our sins, he removes them from us, and He takes us as far away, he takes them as far away from us as the east is from the west. Not only does he take them away from us, he takes them away from himself because it says he remembers them no more. Husbands, you know how your wife remembers your sins. <laughs> On the fifth Thursday of every other month, right? and she remembers. Remember, remember what you did. God doesn't do that, right? I saw a funny thing. Some of you guys may have seen. It said, "Listen, ladies, when a man tells you he's going to do something, he means it. There's no reason to remind him every three months." Okay. Anybody? All right. God takes our sins away from us and he remembers them no more. You're in, you're in there beating yourself up. <laughs> I'm so bad, I'm so awful, I did this. And I go, oh, I don't remember. Jesus, you remember this, is it? No, must be covered in the blood. I can't see it. I can't access it. I can't remember it. And so when you stand before that great white throne of judgment that Satan will tremble and kneel and be judged at, Only one question is going to be asked of you. Is their name found written in the Lamb's book of life? That's the only question. And if the answer is yes, but what about when he did? What about when she said? What about when they did? I don't know what you're talking about. You want to talk about a cover man. Jesus is the ultimate cover man. If you're in him, all of your sins, past, present, and future, are forgiven. Now, does that mean that we don't still stop and ask forgiveness? Not at all. Does your wife know you love her, guys? Hopefully, yes, right? Most of you, I'm sure. She knows, So I, you don't need to say it anymore, right? <laughs> Every morning, before you go out that door, you better smooch your wife, and you better tell her you love her. And how those dimples are still just as cute as they ever were. and all the other things that make your kids go, eww! Why? She needs to hear it. And ladies, we need to hear it too. We need to hear that we are really the most powerful, muscular man you've ever seen in all of your lives, you know. Everybody needs reassurance, don't they? Here's God's assurance to you here's god's assurance to you i will never leave you i will never forsake you and i will never ever lose you and if you try to get lost yourself little sheep (laughs) guess what i'm gonna do i'm going to find you how many of you parents out there you seen billy i haven't seen billy he's lost well It was nice knowing him while it lasted. (laughs) See, Jesus gives us the example of parenting so that we can understand. If you have a child, right, you have a child, that child means more to you. And instantaneously, as soon as they pass through the birth canal, they mean more to you than any other person has ever meant to you in the history of your life. You would immediately, happily dive in front of a train. We should Let's not talk about trains this week, okay? You would immediately dive in front of a bus for this little child. There's nothing. What do you think God was trying to teach you when he gave you children and then spoke of it in the scripture so you could get a glimpse, just the tiniest taste of what you mean to your father in heaven? Don't you dare sell his forgiveness short. Don't you dare sell his grace short. And you, Christian, don't have the right to wallow in shame anymore. You don't have the right to carry it. And here's what I'm going to try to say without weeping. Good luck. Because Jesus already carried it for you. It was nailed to Calvary and it is gone. What's left is love is forgiveness is atonement and so yes we repent yes we say we're sorry we want god to know the status of our hearts but you press on press forward that's what matters that's what your heavenly father wants to see you doing now we are in the book of first kings and lord we ask that you second kings i'm sorry Thank you. 2 Kings chapter 4. Lord, we pray that you'd cover these scriptures for us, these verses, that you'd speak to our hearts and that you'd have your way in our hearts and in our lives in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. 2 Kings chapter 4. A certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, we're on to Elisha now, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. And the creditor is coming to take my two sons to be his slaves. So Elisha said to her, what shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in the house? And she said, your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. Then he said, go, borrow vessels from everywhere, from all your neighbors, empty vessels, do not gather just a few. And when you have come in, you shall shut the door behind you and your sons And then pour it into all those vessels and set aside the full ones. So she went from him and shut the door behind her and her sons, who brought the vessels to her, and she poured it out. Now it came to pass when the vessels were full that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. Then she came and told the man of God, and he said, go, sell the oil and pay your debt and you and your sons live on the rest. Now, the phrase man of God that we see here, uh, the phrase man of God is used 70 times in the Old Testament, and 22 of those times are in reference to Elisha. He's called the man of God more than anybody else in the Old Testament. Moses is the first person in the Old Testament that was called the man of God. But Elisha is called that 22 times. Uh, It is used to refer to someone who is truly in touch with the living God and who brings some of that supernatural relationship to the people they minister to. If you look at all the people in the Old Testament that are called man of God, it was specific people and it was people who were powerfully used of God. And it's because those people were powerfully influenced themselves by God. These were not just men of God uh, because they did certain works for God. Oh, he's that man of God. Oh, she's that woman of God. No, 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 no. It's more than that. It speaks of ownership. That one is of God. That one is from God. If you talk to him, you're going to hear about God. If you interact with him, you're going to experience God. You get it? That's what it means when it says man of God. Now, here's what I say about the Christian faith and about the power of the Holy Spirit. It's like being in a giant football stadium. But here's the thing about our faith. You could sit in the nosebleed sections eating the dried up popcorn, or you could be on the field starting, being the starting QB. You can go as far as you want in your faith. You can be as much of a man or woman of God as you desire to be. It's up to you. It is up to you. This is the groaning. This is the struggle. This is the race that we talk about and running that race. I don't want to be a bystander. I don't want to just sit by and acknowledge God but never have anything to do with actually proclaiming his word, proclaiming his truth, or living out the gospel in my own life, or being used by him to to further his kingdom or to glorify his kingdom. No, no. I want to be a player. (laughs) I want to be involved. This is something that takes dedication, right? Right? dedication and therein lies my problem (laughs) you know what i mean i always joke around and say whatever my plans are i'd rather not is there anybody else here like that whatever my plans are whatever uh, plans my wife has made for me for the evening i trust me i'd rather not listen i love you and don't if i got dinner plans with you next thursday it's just how i am lazy i just want to chill what are you laughing at why is that it was like a knowing laugh, too, like, <laughs> you sure are. It's true. I just want to chill. That's what I love to do. I call myself an international man of leisure. What are you looking forward to? Vacation. From what? It must be so hard being a pastor and a father and a fo- I just take it as it comes. You know what I mean? I don't make plans. I really I'm not there. So let's next for it? And I'm like, Lord, just fill it in, please. You know, if you don't do it, Nikki's gonna do it. So Lord, fill it on in. And God says, No, but I want you to be active in your faith. If you're not active, if you're not involved, if you're not, if you're not scrutinizing and laboring over anything else in your life, God says, I want you to labor over that. That's what it takes to be a man of God. That's what it takes to be a woman of God. You are about your father's business. Remember when they found Jesus is in the temple. He's 12 years old. They just bar mitzvahed him. Time to go home and open the presents. He's gone. They go to look for him, find him. He's in the tabernacle or in the temple, and he's teaching the scribes and the Pharisees. He's teaching. He's in Jeremiah. And he's like, well, you know, actually originally what Jeremiah said. What? 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 and they said why would you do this to us didn't you know didn't you know that i had to be in my father's house it was a i this is where i must be you see why do you come to church well you know well 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 no it should be because that's where i must be like i need this is an oasis man right this is like you come in this place and it's just like you all got an aid station you know you got Band-Aids back there behind the pulpit and some salve, some <laughs> ointments. You know what I mean? <clears throat> can, can I need some respite, some respite here. That's what church is. Church is, I must be in church. That's how it should be. Now, that's how it should be about reading our Bible. You feel like that all the time, don't you? Some of you guys, I envy you. Some of you guys, and probably more ladies. Ladies are good at this stuff. Well, you're probably just more godly, <laughs> But people who go, I, I, I just, I, I just, I just, I'm like, where's my Bible? I, it's been five minutes, and I haven't read my Bible. And I'm like, me? I really, really wish. Sometimes, if I'm being honest, I, and listen, it's not like I read it and go, ew, ew, I hate, I, no, no, no. I know what it is, and I love it. But sometimes, I just would rather do something else that requires no brains whatsoever. You know how easy that is for me? But God says, I want you to press in. God says, I want you to be involved. That's what it means to be a man of God. That's what it means to be a woman of God. Many of the miracles that Jesus would later perform, many years later, were also performed by Elisha, we're going to read about. Remember uh, that before Elijah was taken up to heaven in a whirlwind of the chariot of fire. You've seen the pictures in your kids' Bibles, right? The, the chariot of fire. Chariots of fire. Before that, Elijah asked Elijah for a double portion of his spirit. And Elijah, being a prophet, heard from God. You ever wonder how these conversations, did he hear it like immediately, right away? That it just come to his mind? Like, how did all that work? But he said, If you see me taken, then the answer from God is yes, you're going to get a double portion. So when we read about Elijah, remember, he got a double portion of Elijah's spirit. And that, my friends, is saying something. Elisha was mightily used by God. And again, I want to I reiterate the fact it's because he was already a man of God. You understand? That came before the double portion. That came before the miracles. Now, verse 1, the woman says... It says, a certain woman of the wives of the sons of the prophets cried out to Elisha, saying, your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that your servant feared the Lord. Now, there is rabbinic testimony, and also Josephus, the historian, the famed historian, says that this widow was the wife of Obadiah from 1 Kings chapter 18. Anybody? (laughs) I'm teasing you. Of course you don't remember. I'm studying, and I'm like, Obadiah. Like Obadiah, Jonah, Micah? No, no, different Obadiah. <clears> 1 <throat> Kings chapter 18, remember, it's Ahab is still the king over the northern kingdom of Israel, and Obadiah, we read about in chapter 18, is the head over Ahab's house. He's in charge of Ahab's house. Now, it says specifically in chapter 1 Kings chapter 18, verse 3, that Obadiah feared the Lord greatly. And here's what Obadiah did. While he was living in Ahab's palace... While he was working for Ahab and running his household, he was always smuggling, also smuggling prophets out of the country. He was like Schindler, in a sense, for prophets. Jezebel was actively trying to kill every single prophet in Israel. She was a real peach, remember? And Obadiah, right under her nose, imagine what would have happened to him if he was caught. He's smuggling prophets out, hiding them in caves, and finding ways to get out there and give them food. He was truly, truly a man of God who feared the Lord greatly. So, uh, and remember also that um, Ahab had sent Obadiah out to look for grass, because remember, Elijah had pronounced a drought in the land because of their rejection of God. There was famine, there was drought in the land. There wasn't even enough grass for the livestock. And Ahab sends Obadiah out to look for grass, and he bumps right into Elijah. And that precipitates that contest on Mount Caramel. Remember, when when Elijah calls down the fire from heaven, and he's 400 prophets of Baal versus Elijah, and that whole contest. This is what precipitates that. Obadiah was the one God used to set all of that up. So when she says, you know my husband... Elisha knew him because Elisha was a servant of Elijah. And Obadiah is a very important figure. Now, there's no way to know that 100%, but I think that's very, very, very interesting. Remember also, why is this woman penniless? Why is she in such dire straits? Well, remember, if he was the head of Ahab's house, what happened to Ahab's house? Ahab's house had just about been wiped out. Wiped out. And what do you think happened to Obadiah? Did anybody... But when he went from one king to the next, Obadiah, you're out. You're out. Put out in the streets. You wonder if he must have been asking God questions. And then we don't know how he died either. Whether it was sickness, whether somebody killed him, we have no idea. Uh, So in those days, if you could not pay a debt, then you could be pressed into servitude to pay off the debt. Probably her sons were young sons. They were too young uh, to actually... you know take over the family business or start their own business. They probably weren't grown men. They were probably young. And so this widow is in dire straits. She has nothing. There's nothing for her except her creditors, and and it wasn't by her permission. They could legally take her sons as slaves uh, to pay off her debt. So as you can imagine, moms and dads, she was distraught about that. And she cries out to God, but more than just that, She seeks out the man of God, Elisha, and she asks him the question. She tells him what's happening, and she asks him what might be done. God's people are not immune from suffering, but here God sends help in the form of Elisha. Uh, And in the scriptures, we read over and over again in the Old Testament, God is very interested in the plight of the fatherless and of the widow. And it's represented within the law, and it's represented in the prophets. Deuteronomy 10.18 says this, He administers justice for the fatherless and the widow and loves the stranger, giving him food and clothing. What about Mexican illegals? Does he love them too? What do you think? What do you think? I don't care about the politics of it. I don't care about what I understand. Secure. uh, Listen, I'm a righty. I care about secure borders. I care about all that. I care about law and order. And I care about fentanyl coming across our borders. I care about all that stuff. And I'm not saying that we shouldn't do stuff about that and and, and things don't need to change. Please don't misunderstand me. What has that got to do with me? What on earth does that have to do with me as far as my calling in Jesus Christ? How would God have, now listen, I'm not saying go down to the border. If God calls you to, go right ahead. Here's what I'm saying. Where should my heart be in the matter? Get them out of here. Just get those out. I don't give a. Or, Lord, please provide for these people. Whatever happens, Lord, whatever goes down, however this goes, Lord, please provide for these people. Lord, please be with these families. Please protect them so they're not victimized. Lord, please be with these people. Do you understand? Know this, that God's heart is, is for the fatherless, the widow, and the alien. That's who God's heart is for. It's about the people, not the politics. You understand? I'm not saying there shouldn't be... You understand what I'm saying, right? This is politics aside. This is what we know to be right and the rule of law and all that stuff aside. I'm talking about person to person in my heart. I don't care who it is. I don't care where they're from. God has called me to love them, to pray for them, and if he sticks them in the middle of my life, to help provide for him. That's it. That's the heart of God. That's how he is. Uh, Psalm 146.9 says this, the Lord watches over the strangers. that You could also say alien there. He relieves the fatherless and widow, but the way of the wicked, he turns upside down. If you wonder why things are upside down, by the way, <laughs> in our government and in our country, all over the place, make you know, make no mistake about it. It's because... We are not a Christian nation. Now, I don't know how long we haven't been a Christian nation. You can go back in history as far as you want, or this or that, or the other thing. But let me tell you something. It ain't Bible studies happening up on Capitol Hill. Okay? We are a government run by men, and that means by definition it's evil. Good teacher, the young, rich young ruler said. Why do you call me, why do you call me good teacher? No one is good except for God. Jesus, in talking about taking care of your kids, he said, if you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give his spirit to those who ask it of him? Jesus Christ had no mistakes about who who humanity was and what man, in fact, when they were trying to take him and force him to make him king, and they were saying, this man should be Messiah, the Bible says Jesus took no mind to what they were saying because he knew what was in the heart of men. He knew that today they'll be saying, make him the Messiah, and tomorrow they'll be saying, crucify him. This world and the governments of this world are evil, and God's in charge, and God is in charge. Make no mistake about it. Uh, Learn to do good. This is Isaiah chapter 1, verse 17. Learn to do good. Seek justice. Rebuke the oppressor. Defend the fatherless. Plead for the widow she had the faith to cry out to elisha which means she had faith to believe that he could help her boy it reminds me of the woman with the issue of blood remember and jesus christ is walking through those thronging streets he is pressed in all around him people are pressing in on him and this one random lady who god takes and records and puts in the annals of the word of god Because of one thing, this random lady has a thought. I've been to every doctor, I've spent every penny that I can, and there's nothing among men that can help me with my issue of blood. But I know, I know that if I can just touch the hem of his garment, I know I'll be made well. And so she makes her understand it just like the leper, it was illegal under the law. For her to be walking through this crowd of people and touching, you understand, every single she pers- to person that she touched in that crowd, she made ceremonially unclean, folks. And the Pharisees did not, she could have been absolutely kicked out of the temple for life, basically damned. And she didn't care. She knew one thing, if I can touch the hem of Jesus' garment, I know I'll be made well. And that's exactly what she did. And it soon the Bible says, as soon as she touched his robe, she knew immediately, she was healed, and the blood stopped. And what's more than that is it says that Jesus immediately stopped because he immediately knew and felt that power had gone out from him. That wasn't that interesting. That somehow in his humanity, he allowed himself to not personalize it and make it about who it was, but it was about the power that had come out, and he knew it was because of faith, and that's what he takes note of. That's what he stops everything on a dime and says, wait, stop everything right there. Who touched me? Peter's like, who touched you? There's eight million people, Lord. Who did? No, 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 Peter. Shut up. You know you know i felt power come out from me and the woman comes trembling to the lord here's why i did it here's why i did it lord i knew if i could just touch you and what does he say your faith has made you well isn't that interesting your faith has made you well well this woman had faith and she knew she knew when the chips were down And no matter what had happened to her husband, how he had died, and here she is, penniless, a widow with two small boys to take care of, not knowing what's next. Are they going to be sold into slavery? She knows one thing. If I can touch God, if I can somehow come in contact with God, I know my circumstances are going to change. I know things in my life are going to change, and that's exactly what she did. In the midst of a wicked, ungodly culture... This woman and her family had remained faithful and true to Jehovah. And now she goes to Jehovah, not the world, for help. Now verse 2, Elisha says to her, What shall I do for you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? And she said, Your maidservant has nothing in the house but a jar of oil. The only thing that she had left in her entire house that had not been used up or sold was a jar of oil, oil that is, black gold texas tea no no it was it would have been olive oil (laughs) it would have been no combustion engines back then you know yeah um it would have been olive oil now almost every time the bible mentions oil it is referring to olive oil oil that was pressed from the fruit of olive trees had many uses it had many uses in biblical times i'm going to go over a few of them it was a dietary staple it was spread on bread it was used in cooking i use it in cooking too cooking Uh, and mixed with flour to make bread and this is no doubt what it was that this woman had it for to make bread she she didn't have any use for these other for these other things she was trying to this was what she used to try to make some bread so her and her boys could eat oil was used as a religious offering you can find that in leviticus chapter 2 and verse 4 as a remedy for stomach distress and as a balm to heal wounds it was also used as a fuel for lamps and homes and soldiers would often work oil into the leather shields they used in battle to keep the shields from becoming brittle. Oil was used uh, as a base for making perfumes and fra- fragrant ointments. Remember when the woman came with the alabaster jar and broke it and poured it on Jesus Christ in the smell? That the, the base of that is olive oil, mixed with all of the all of the spices and the other things to make it into a fragrance. Um When perfumers boiled oil and then added secret blends of root and bark powders, you can tell I copy and pasted this, can't you? Tree resins and spices, they could make very expensive ointment. One jar of oil-based myrrh, frankincense, cinnamon, and aloe ointment could sell for as much as one laborer's yearly salary. Remember. Remember what it said about that when Judas was all upset. This could have been taken and, and sold and used to feed the poor. And it says he had cared nothing for the poor. He was a thief. And, and Judas wanted the money. But it was, she took this, it worth a year's wages. So figure, a hundred grand, right? Roughly, give or take, right? And she breaks it and pours it on the Savior. And remember what Jesus said? She's done this in preparation for my burial. You guys have no idea what's going on here. So, Lots of use, uses. Oil was a precious item in international trade. Solomon had used it in 2 Chronicles chapter 2 and verse 10. Solomon used it uh, years before this account that we're looking at to pay for some of the supplies he used to build the temple. So, a million and one uses for olive oil. Very, very handy and worth. had 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 a great worth and value to it. And she says to Elisha, all I have, all I have, and this is one of the things that I love in the Bible, one of these, one of these moments where she says, all I have is a small vessel of oil. That's it. What, what do I have? I have nothing. There's nothing left, Elisha. You understand? That's why I'm coming to you. That's why I'm coming to God. I have nothing left. I have a small vessel of oil. So what? <laughs> With God, there's no such thing as all I have. There's no such thing. With God and faith... There is no all I have. All Abraham had was his faith and a barren wife. All Joseph had was his faith and his integrity and became second to Pharaoh. Abraham became the father, the Bible says, of all who believe and the father of a nation and many nations. All Moses had was faith and a stick and he brought the greatest nation in the world to its knees and opened the Red Sea and brought water from a rock. All he had was a stick and faith. All David had was faith, his poetry, and a sling. And he became the King David that you and I know and love. Now in verse 3 to 7, Elisha tells her to gather as many vessels as she can get her hands on. And he said specifically, don't gather just a few. And it's an interesting question to ask ourselves, exactly what do I expect God to do in my life? Interesting. Elisha is telling her, God's about to do something in your life. I'm telling you what your part is, go get vessels. Now, honey, look at me, not just a few, <laughs> okay? You understand what I'm saying to Elisha says? I want you to get every single vessel that you can. Go to all your neighbors, get every single, uh-huh, uh-huh. no, don't just say on. Uh-huh. you understand what I'm saying? I want you to get every vessel you possibly can because God's about to move. How much do you expect him to do? How much do you believe him do or that he can do Uh, oil of course is a picture of the holy spirit for us and i love that elisha tells her that before she shares what god does with other people first he wants her and her kids to go into the house by themselves and shut the door and experience god as a family remember what jesus said first in judea then in samaria and then to the uttermost parts of the world you know where it starts guys gals home. That's where it starts. Your family is your first ministry. First in Judea. Remember that. First in Judea, then Samaria, then the other uttermost parts of the world. I love this that Elijah says, I want you to get these things. I want you to prepare to see God move. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go in your little house with just your boys. And I want you to shut that door. And I want you as a family to experience the wonder working power of God and then you can go share it with the world. Elisha said, get them from everywhere, all your neighbors. And notice what it says, verse 6. When it came to pass, when the vessels were full, that she said to her son, bring me another vessel. And he said to her, there is not another vessel. So the oil ceased. You understand what would have happened if she would have had 20 more vessels? You know what would have happened if she would have had another barn full of vessels? I'm I'm not knocking her. What I'm pointing out is, is that God's provision is without end. God's ability to provide is without end. And God's ability to work and move in your life and to use you is without end. What do you believe him for? And how much do you believe him? If she would have had one more jar, it would have been just enough. 20 more jars, it would have filled them. Again, on and on and on and on. I wonder what they were saying after they got the last one full and the oil suddenly stopped. You think they said it was just enough or she thinks she was probably like we should have asked the smiths <laughs> we should have went down we should have went over and asked jeremiah <laughs> we should have asked moshi we should have asked some. oh we never talked we would have we could have had four more jars i wonder about that conversation i'm going to finish with this ephesians chapter 3 and verse 20 now to him who was able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power of That works in us. I'm going to read that again. To him, that is God, who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we could ask or even think of, how? According to the power that works. Where? In us. The power that is in you, not your power, the Holy Spirit that lives in you is able to do above what you could ever ask or even comprehend. How much of it have we tapped? 1 John 5, 14. Now, this is the confidence that we have in him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. I'd like to remove that according to his will part sometimes, but it's according to his will, okay? Listen to me. Pray for that new Cadillac. And I mean it with all my heart. You want a caddy? Pray for one. But pray according to his will, that means if you don't get the caddy, you go, eh, it wasn't God's will, and you move on. It's okay. It's okay to ask. He knows anyway what your little heart's all about. You might as well pray honestly. Ask God, Lord, I just want to live in your will, and I don't ever, ever, ever want to misjudge how much you want to do in my life. <clears throat> I don't ever want to think small when you're thinking big. I don't ever want to do that, God. I want to see you do mighty things. Lastly, first John 3:21 to 23 says this, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God, and whatever we ask, we receive from him, because we keep his commandments and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Understand? The person who gets whatever they ask for from God, the person who gets an, a, whatever they ask for they receive in God, it's those whose heart do not condemn them, who are confident towards God and are keeping his commandments and doing the things that are pleasing in his sight. And he makes it even clearer for us, and this is his commandment. Here it is, that we should believe on the name of his son Jesus Christ and love one another as he gave us commandment. Amen? Amen. Amen. Guys, I'm gonna have you come right forward. We're, We're gonna share in communion together. together. Uh, again, <clears throat> fellowship is what it's all about. Fellowship with God through Jesus Christ is what it's all about. This is this, this right here, maybe not specifically this, but this is a part of what God was after when he sent Jesus Christ into the world. Do you understand that? It's not just, well, I'm forgiven and now I can go to heaven. You understand? For God, it's about the relationship. It's about the relationship that he has personally with you. Heaven is, heaven is, is, is just a result, you understand? The glory is just a result of the so far greater, greater reality of being in him and living in him and having fellowship with him. It was all so simple at the beginning, wasn't it? The man... The woman, a garden. I don't even like gardening. In fact, I hate gardening. Maybe that's because of the curse. I imagine it was much easier for them, you know. But then in the cool of the day, it says God would come and walk in the garden and spend time with the man and his woman. You imagine the fellowship that was there, the beauty of it all. And that's what broke God's heart when the man and the woman fell to sin. The relationship being severed. That's what breaks God's heart. That's why it says he's angry at sin every single day. But what about the sinner? No, he loves the sinner. He wants restoration. (laughs) Hi, darling. This table, this table is a representation of that restoration. This table is a representation of the restored relationship that you have with Almighty God because of what Jesus Christ accomplished for us at Calvary, specifically By saying, this is my body, which is broken for you. And this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant that is shed for you for the atonement of your sins. And Jesus said, whenever you gather together and you partake in this table, do it in remembrance of me. And so that's what this is about today. This is always about fellowship with God, fellowship with one another, and one of my favorite things on planet earth, having a meal right? But this is more than just a meal we're going to have downstairs after church, right? That's good too. But this, this meal, this meal, if you have it in faith and if you understand what it is, this is a meal that heals your soul. This is a meal that feeds your soul. And so that's how I would encourage you to partake of it today. Amen. Amen. Come on up guys.
1: Say goodbye to every sin.
2: Six feet under, I could have been lost forever. Yeah, I should be in that fire, but now there's fire inside of me.
0: Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and praise you and glorify you, Father, for what you've accomplished for us, Lord, through your Son, Jesus Christ, Uh, Lord, and we we don't want to be content with just uh, living in that forgiveness and your grace every day and to kind of continue on in the status quo, Father, but we want to truly press into you and press on towards the goal that's set before us in Christ Jesus, Lord, and, and it's in his name, Lord, that we ask these things of you, Father, and it's in his name that we ask for a deeper walk with you, Father, and greater fellowship with you as well. We pray that this communion service today, Lord, would just be the beginning of something new in each heart, Lord, in each mind, and that we would leave this place, Lord, and uh, each person would make a decision that something's going to be different this week, something's going to be different in my life, I'm going to walk harder after Christ Jesus, I'm going to press into the Father, and I'm going to believe in him, I'm going to believe in his ability to work wonders in my life. Uh, Lord, I pray and ask that we would see you work wonder-working miracles, Lord, as you are so capable of doing, Lord, it's so easy for you, Lord, it's hard for us, Lord, hard for us to believe sometimes, and hard for us to act accordingly, Lord. And we pray that you would give us that power to do so, Lord, by your Spirit. And we pray now, Lord, that you'd bless the communion elements, Lord. As we partake of them together, we pray that you'd bless them, uh, Lord, not to our bodies, Lord, but to our spirits, to our hearts and our souls and our minds. Uh, We pray, Father God, that you'd fill us up, and we pray, Lord God, that you would touch us and heal us and that you would mold us and make us into the image of Jesus Christ in whose memory we receive this. In his name we pray and ask, and all the saints said, amen. 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 Let's share. Thank you again, Lord. You are the best. We are so thankful to be called yours, Lord. Fill this place in each heart with your spirit. I pray that you'd watch over and protect my brothers and sisters this week. That you'd be with them wherever they go. I pray that you'd cause your face to shine upon them. That you'd be gracious to them, Lord God, and that you'd lead them along your path of righteousness, truth, and holiness. In Jesus' name we pray and ask. Amen. 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 Love you, fam.